0: We welcome you today to this place of worship. We've gathered to worship, and we've gathered to talk about our brackets (laughs) and to pray for P.J. Washington's foot. Amen. Well, we are here also to study the Word of God, which is the most important. If you're a guest, we welcome you to Burlington Baptist. Thank you for coming today. I stay down front after the service. I'd like to meet you. Come down front and let me meet you and welcome you. And then stop by the Welcome Center. They have a gift for you. I think it's a gift card for $50 at Ollie's. So uh, <laughs> so stop by, stop by and get it. On Easter is April the 21st. And we will begin our celebration of Easter with a Good Friday communion service on Good Friday at 7 o'clock here. So I hope that you will join us. And it's not too early to think about Easter, which is April the 27th. We will start Easter Day at 7 o'clock with a Burlington Community Sunrise Service, and we'll meet on the parking lot of the Justice Center because the Justice Center and their wisdom built it so we couldn't see the sun from our parking lot. So we'll go to their parking lot and uh, and have a short sunrise service to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Gary Greiser will be our guest soloist, and he will be our guest soloist for the Sunday service uh, as well. Gary and I were talking this week. I said, Gary, this is, this is I thought about something. Here you grew up in a Burlington Baptist church, and now you're at First Church. And here I was at First Church for 38 years, and now I'm at Burlington Baptist Church. I said, if your mother was alive, she would have something to say about that. And if you knew Mrs. Greiser, you would know she would have something to say about that. So start inviting your friends uh, to come to our Easter services. People want to come to church on Easter. They really do. And if you invite them, they will come. I really believe that and have practiced that all these years. So I hope that you'll invite your friends, and we will welcome them with open arms and be glad that you are here. Today we come to the last sermon in the series called Me and My Two Sons. And today we're going to talk about the older brother. What is it with older brother? Brothers, how many of you have had an older brother? Whoa, I'm sorry about that. What is it with older brothers? And then next Sunday, I'm going to start a series on heaven. How long has it been since you've heard a series on heaven? I looked through my notes, uh, through my sermons, files, and all the years that I've been at First Church, I only preached two series of sermons on heaven. I was ashamed of myself. We do not talk enough about heaven. Our sermons today are about how to be happy, how not to worry, how to get along with the in-laws, and blah, 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 blah. So we're going to talk about heaven, and it's going to be a teaching series, so I hope you'll bring your notebooks uh, and your pencils. Let's pray, and then we'll get to it. Father, we pause to acknowledge your presence, not only now, but always in our lives, and we acknowledge our deep need to learn how much you love us, and how to learn to receive your love. And we confess that it's easier to think that you're against us when we sin and mess up than it is to know that you're anxious to forgive us. And Father, it's so easy to set up barriers which keep us from being bathed and healed by the power of your love. And as the song says, I pray that we will always be aware of the overwhelming never-ending, reckless love of God as we see this morning in this text. Now pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today. Give each of us just the message you want us to hear because we pray to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. There was a young bride who was preparing for her wedding day and she was determined that she was not going to let anything ruin that day. Even the messy divorce that her parents had just went through. She and her mother were shopping to find her mother the perfect dress to wear for her wedding. And they found a beautiful, gorgeous dress that was just perfect. And the bride said, Mom, you're going to be the best dressed. You're going to be the prettiest mother of the bride ever. A week later, she learns that her dad's new young bride had bought the same dress for the wedding. Now, we guys don't understand this at all, but women take this very serious. And so she went to her dad's new bride, and she said, My mother bought the same dress, has already bought. Would you consider getting another dress? And she said, I most certainly will not. I look like a million bucks in this dress, and I plan to wear it. She told her mother, and her mother said, honey, don't worry about it. It is your day. It's not my day. It's not about me. So we'll just go shopping and get a different dress. Well, they found a very suitable dress, and over lunch, she said to her mom, she said, Mom, I guess you will return the first dress. You don't have an occasion to wear it. Her mother smiled and said, oh, but I do have an occasion to wear it. I'm going to wear it to the rehearsal dinner the night before the wedding. Don't you, just, don't you just love that? <laughs> now, we enjoy those kind of stories. It's called poetic justice. And poetic justice is a literary advice where virtue is ultimately rewarded and wrong is ultimately punished. It's when someone who has been unfairly treated turns the table on the one who hurt them, or the tables are turned on the one who hurt them. Barbara Brown Taylor is one of, one of America's great preachers, and her books are just super. I would recommend them to you. Barbara Brown Taylor says, Then along comes the story of instant forgiveness with no strings attached, and we cannot miss the point that the extravagant love of God both fulfills and violates our sense of what is right. She's right on. Now, that's the problem that Jesus is addressing in the greatest story ever told. Now, Jesus got a lot of criticism, but one of the things he was criticized for, and it was true, that he hung out with bad people. How can a holy man like you run around with such bad, low-down scumbags as these people that you eat with? And that's the whole point of the story. It starts this way. In Luke 15, 1 through 2, tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And Jesus tells three wonderful stories to show how God feels about his lost children. See, God wants good people to know that he doesn't consider bad people as worthless. The greatest story ever told is for the benefit of people who think that they are good. Now let's revisit the story. The prodigal boy comes home from the far country. His dad runs to greet him, throws his arms around him, smothers him with kisses, yells out to the servants, "'Kill the fatted calf!' Invite the neighbors. We're having a barbecue. You all come. And the father was restoring this boy to his place in the family and also restoring him back to the community. Let's pick the story up. In Luke, the 15th chapter, let's start with verse 25. This is the older brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Uh, Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out to him and begged him, but he replied, All these years, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son. You have always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He is lost, but now he is found. Now, the older brother was willing to disgrace his dad in front of that entire community because he was offended at the grace his father showed on the younger brother. What is it with older brothers? Now, let's talk about this older brother syndrome. Is it possible for us to have the older brother spirit? Is it possible for us to have the older brother syndrome? It is. And as we work our way through this story, I want you to remember the more we learn about the older brother, the more we're going to see ourselves, and it's not a pretty picture. I'll tell you that right up front. The more we learn about the older brother, the more we're going to see ourselves. So what is it with this older brother? We can have the spirit of the older brother. We can have the older brother's spirit when, first of all, let's begin with this, you don't care about the lost. When we don't care about the lost. Now, why is this older boy so angry? Like the Pharisees in front of Jesus, he did not care about the lost. He didn't care if his older brother came home. He wasn't concerned. Let him be lost. See, it's very easy for us to condemn the older brother as being a self-righteous, holier-and-thou snob, which he was. But before we do that, remember this. Look at the screen. Remember this. Self-righteousness can only grow in the soil of a community that values righteousness. Now, are you with me? Self-righteousness can only grow... In the soil of a community that values righteousness. If people don't care about righteousness and morality or a relationship with God, they can't be self-righteous. It's just as plain as that. It is only when you value righteousness that self-righteousness can raise its ugly head. And it is a very short step. From moral decline to claiming moral superiority. Now, these critics of Jesus didn't criticize Jesus because they were bad. They criticized him because they were good. This was a good boy, remember? And good people want bad people judged. Now, I will admit it. Just admit it. I will admit it. Good people want bad people judged. And sometimes when bad people hurt their families, particularly when bad people hurt children, and, and it should have been their spiritual leader or their parent or their caregiver, <clears throat> and they hurt a child or abuse a child, I would be honest with you. I want to see them judged. Sick them, God, just get them. Just get them. Now, be honest. Sometimes we want to see bad people judged rather than saved. We would a whole lot rather see a terrorist quartered and hung, rather than seeing them saved. See, the older brother is good. Don't forget that. If he wasn't good, there would not have been a home, there would not have been a farm, or there might not have even been a father for the baby brother to come back to. While the baby brother was off in the far country partying, who was at home sweating and plowing, and harvesting, and taking care of the farm, and taking care of the old father. You see, the older brother's actions were totally consistent with his religious belief. And here is his religious belief, and it is the religious belief of a lot of people. He believed that good people are valuable, and bad people have no value. That's why Jesus told the story. Why should we care about those who are bad and have no value? And you look at our culture today. Why should we be care about those who are marginalized, those who are out there living in the shadows? We don't even like to recognize them. We don't even like to talk about them. Why should we be care about those people? And here, Jesus is trying to say to these people who believe that good people are valuable and bad people, people are, have no value, that all people have value. Now, the question, that's the question of the Pharisees. They're asking Jesus, why do you care about these kind of people? So, that's why Jesus told these three stories. And Jesus, boy, He gives a new radical form of righteousness that absolutely took the basket of their religious thought and turned it upside down. He said, you know, you you see some good and valuable. And the the good are the only valuable people that you see. And the bad people you see as useless, this crowd that I run around with. And he said, I say that all people are bad. We're all sinners, but they are valued. Now, you talk about turning the religious thinking on its head. Jesus is saying to those Pharisees and to us, you have no idea the value God puts on people that you want to throw away, the marginalized people that you don't want to have anything to do with. See, the older brother did not want his younger brother back because he didn't think he was worth it. He did not think he was worth it. Fred Craddock in his commentary on this says, Jesus even invites his critics to join him in all of heaven in celebrating the finding the lost. This joy, in part for the return son, is the heart of the gospel. Finding and restoring the lost gives pleasure to God as well as to all who are about God's business. The older brother syndrome raises its head in our lives when we do not care about the lost. Can I challenge you? Please care about the lost. A lost neighbor, a lost child, a lost spouse, a lost coworker, Your golf buddy, Lord knows a lot of them are lost. A lost in-law. I have told you before, I'll tell you again. I got this from the bishop. 68% of the people in boone county go to nobody's church 68 percent 81 percent of people in kenton county go to nobody's church you say well ld how in the world do we care about the lost start by building a relationship with them you know we christians we get in our little holy huddle and that's where we stay i hope you have some unchurched friends I've got a couple of pagan friends. They're absolute pagans. But I love them and trying to build a relationship with them that hopefully one day will lead them to Jesus. That's how it's done. Build a relationship with them. And it's so easy to say to them, why don't you come to Burlington Baptist with me once again? just check us out. Just check us out. I would surmise that 90% of you are here because you've got an invitation come to church that's the way it is in most churches so it starts with a relationship with those who are lost well let's go on we have the older brother syndrome when we resent the cost of the party (coughs) now you think about it here's dad throwing this expensive party who's paying for it who's paying for it Everything that the father owns belongs to the older brother now. And his dad, his brother, older brother is thinking, well, it wasn't my father's to kill. It wasn't his to kill. It was mine. Look what Barbara Brown Taylor says again. The younger brother came home to live off his brother's inheritance, having spent his own in loose living. And no sooner did the father see him coming down the road than the elder brother's fatted calf was killed and the celebration was on. See, forgiveness always comes at a price. Now, how often have we walked in the older brother's sandals? Someone hurt us. Perhaps it was a family member, a close friend, and we just turned our backs on them and refused to forgive and said, it's just not fair and it's just not worth it. You see, the older brother looks at his father's response to his younger brother, who had caused that dad so much grief, so much heartache, so much disruption in the family, and he said, it's just not fair the way my dad's treating him. It's just not fair. Now, we are told to forgive anyway because God forgives. And often we Christians are told, you just suck it up and be concerned about yourself, Uh, don't be concerned about yourself and your needs just forgive and forget well I don't know who put forgive and forget together I don't know who did that because it does a disservice it does a disservice to both the act of giving forgiveness and the act of receiving forgiveness Philip Yancey in his great book I would recommend it to you what's so amazing about grace he says this Behind every act of forgiveness is a wound of betrayal. And the pain of being betrayed does not fade easily. See, that wound is so much deeper when someone betrays you and you love them. The older brother had been betrayed by his younger brother. And the resentment ran deep. Now, forgetting does not involve forgetting. Forgiving, rather, does not involve forgetting so much as it does in releasing the power that wrong has over us and letting go of the resentment. Forgetting, forgetting, forgiving, forgetting, you'll remember it for a long time, but there has to come a point in your life where you release it. Release its power over you and let go of the resentment. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't trip over what's behind you? Did your mom ever tell you that? Don't trip over what's behind you, son. The older brother ends up tripping over what's behind him, over his past, over the past, and not able to forgive his brother. And he refuses to join the party. Now, We have the older brother syndrome when we resent the cost of the party because forgiveness is always costly. Forgiveness does not come easy. It always is costly. All right, we have the older brother spirit. When we don't care about the lost, we just let them go. And when we resent the cost of the party, I'm not going to forgive. It hurt too much. You know, and then I think this third one is the crux of the story. We trust in our goodness instead of God's grace. Now, that's the crux of the story. This older boy was a good boy. He probably was a deacon down at the church. See, he's the kind of boy that you hope your daughter would bring home from college. Certainly don't bring home that younger, that little rebel younger son. No. Bring home a boy like the older boy who's loyal and hard-working. But I want you to understand something in this story that you may never thought of. The older son's goodness destroyed a relationship with the father more so than the younger son's badness. You say, Elder, you're being pretty hard on the older brother. The older son's goodness Destroyed the relationship with his father more so than the younger son's badness. Look, I have been slaving for you all of these years. I've never disobeyed an order of yours. And you never even gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. See, the older son was estranged from his father... Not because of his badness, but because of his goodness, his self-righteous goodness. And Jesus is saying to that crowd, do you see how sad this is? Here is a father who is full of grace and you're willing to disgrace him because you trust more in your goodness than in the father's grace. Now let's be honest. I think most of us have been older brothers at times. We have lived most of our lives trusting in our goodness instead of the Father's grace. How many times people have said to me, Well, Ellie, I know I'm going to heaven because I've been good. That's not going to get you there. That's not going to get you there. See, when you trust in your goodness, several things happen. When you trust in your goodness rather than the Father's grace, you know what it does? It makes you judgmental. We set the standard of goodness, and usually it's, it's our opinions, And then when a person doesn't reach that standard, then we write them off. We judge them, write them off. But then, I like what Tim Keller says. When we trust in our goodness instead of the Father's grace, it makes us angry. Look what Tim Keller says in his book, The Prodigal God. We see that the elder brother became angry. All of his words are dripping with resentment. The first sign you have received you have the elder brother spirit, is that when your life doesn't go as you want, you aren't just sorrowful, but look what he says, but deeply angry and bitter. Elder brothers believe if they live a good life, they should get a good life, that God owes them a smooth road if they try very hard to live up to standards. Now, externally... This older brother was a very moral boy, unlike his younger brother. Good. But internally, internally, he was angry. Angry at his dad. I know people who are older than I am and they're still angry at their parents. Get over it, they're dead and gone. Angry at the spouse angry at the church, angry at God, angry at the boss, angry at the company, angry at the neighbors, angry at the government. Well, you might be justified in being angry at the government. (laughs) I have had people sit in my study and say to me, I do not deserve this because I've been good. I don't deserve this. I've been good. And trusting in our goodness, makes us angry, but it also makes us anxious. A life based on achievement, a life based on acceptance, always depends upon performance. And so many of us want to be accepted, and we base that acceptance upon our performance, on our good works. This older son is upset because he didn't get a party. What is it with this older brother? And his dad said, son, look around. Everything I got is yours. Why haven't you had a party? You know why the older brother never had a party? I believe because he felt like he didn't deserve it. Remember, he's into performance. He's into works. I don't think he felt like he deserved a party or he had earned a party. And you know, he doesn't, here he has, he's been with the Father all this time, and he still doesn't know where he stands with the Father because he's trusting in his own goodness rather than the Father's grace. And you never know where you stand with the Father if you're trusting in your goodness. How do you know when you've been good enough? How do you know when you've produced enough? How do you know when you've achieved enough? No, folks, this is about grace. Grace, Grace, look at the screen. This is Noel Doss, and, I, and, I, and uh, I got this story from a preacher in Texas. Noble Doss was one of the greatest football players that ever played at the University of Texas until Colt McCoy. Now, I was a Colt McCoy fan and, and a, a Mac Brown fan, I. When Colt played for the University of Texas, I was a Colt McCoy fan because he was a wonderful kid and a great football player. But he was a better kid than he was a football player. Come from a wonderful family. But Noel Noel Doss went on to play professional. He, He was inducted into the Texas Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the University of Texas Football Hall of Fame. Noel Doss was a great football player, but he was a better person than a football player he served in world war ii he was married to the same woman for 60 years he comes home from world war ii and becomes a very successful businessman a good man and when he died that's what most people remembered about noble doss but that's not what noble doss remembered about himself in 1941 texas is the number one football team in the country They are playing Baylor to go to the Rose Bowl to play for the national championship. It's late in the game. Texas is ahead by seven points. The quarterback throws a pass to Noble Dawson. No one is around him. The only thing between him and the goal line is 20 yards of grass. The pass is absolutely perfect right into his hands, and he dropped the ball. Baylor came back to beat Texas. Texas lost its number one ranking and a chance to go play for the national title. Noble Doss said, I remembered that day every day for the rest of my life. I remembered that play every day for the rest of my life. 50 years later, Mac Brown is called to be the head football coach of the University of Texas. And when Mac Brown was introduced to Noble Doss, guess what Noble Doss told coach Brown about? That's right. The day he dropped the ball and he began to cry. Now, that sadness is the result in trusting in your own goodness, and your own performance. Folks, we will always be haunted by the times we drop the ball. (laughs) And I'm looking into the faces of a crowd. Every one of us have dropped the ball. And when you drop the ball, don't trust in your own goodness. Don't trust in your own performance. Come home to the Father's forgiveness. Come home to the Father's Grace. Now you've been listening very intently, so let me give you a little chance to relax. Okay, let's take a little breather. Look at the screen. Let's do a review. I got one more, and uh, I'll do it. Try to do it as quick as I can. We have the elder brother syndrome when we do not care about the lost, when we resent the cost of the party. <laughs> I, I, forgiveness, messy. I'm like, Cost too much. Not going to do it. And when we trust in our own goodness, our own works, our own performance, our own morality, rather than the Father's grace. And there's one more. I think we have the elder brother spirit when we accept only the good and the righteous. The younger brother sinned against his father. And I like the way the old King James says it. And he took his journey into the far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. I like that word. Riotous living. Now, I have an idea what riotous living is. (laughs) And when I was a young man, I thought, wow, I'd love to go into the far country and experience riotous living. Because I had an idea of what it was. Now, we had an uncle who left the mountains for the far country to experience riotous living, and boy, he did, and he ended up in prison, sort of ruined it for the rest of us back home. Now, at my age, shoot, I go to bed before riotous living even starts at night. (laughs) You know what I believe? I believe the older brother was jealous of his younger brother because He had experienced riotous living. He accused his younger brother of sins that he himself would like to have committed. Remember, he's the one who mentioned the prostitutes. So here is this older brother whose rebellion is hidden in his heart hard-hearted hypocritical he sinned against his father he's self-righteous he's angry he's resentful he's bitter and he is jealous was he lost i think so he never left the father's house but he was just as lost as his younger brother who went in the far country and you know jesus never tells us how the story ends He never tells us if the older brother was ever reconciled to his father. You see, if you have the older brother syndrome, you think you're good. But if you hear this story through the heart of the younger son, you know you're in desperate need of the father's grace. If you hear it through the younger son... You know, you know, I can't trust in my goodness. I have to trust in the Father's grace. One last thought. I'm glad Jesus is our older brother. Amen. I, I, I don't want an older brother like the one in this story. I, I, I need an older brother who will help me get home. I I need an older brother who will help me rejoice. I need an older brother who, who will be forgiving when I drop the ball and I drop the ball and I drop the ball. I need an older brother who makes it possible for me to sit at the Father's table. I need an older brother who invites me to join in the celebration banquet of sinners who repent like us and welcomes the sinners to come and eat at the Father's table. Our older brother paid the price right there. He paid the price right there so that we could come home to the Father's grace, so that we could come home to the Father's goodness, so that one day we could go to the Father's house And the Father and Jesus are going to pitch a party for us like you have never seen. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all of us repentant sinners are going to gather around the Father's table. Jesus is going to be at the head of the table. And he's going to say, welcome home. Welcome home. And everybody's invited. It's the greatest story ever told. You've been invited. Don't be the older brother and miss the party. Don't be the older brother and miss the party. Father, what a great story about how gracious and loving and forgiving you are. Thank you that when we come home from the far country, you're there to welcome us with open arms, arms of love, arms of grace. And I pray that if there's one here today who's not accepted you, they will come home to you today. Come home to your love. Come home to your forgiveness. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Today we invite you to come home. Come home to the Father's love. Come home to his grace. Come home to his arms of love. Come home to his welcome. If you would like to obey him in baptism like we saw this morning, come and make that decision as well. If you'd like communion, go to the communion stations, have your time of prayer. You can sit down in the front rows if you'd like and pray, and then serve yourself and have your quiet time. If you'd like f- for some of us to pray with you, just come to this altar. If you want to pray by yourself, that's fine. If you want one of us to pray with you, we'd be glad to do that as well. Come home. Come home. Come home. Let's stand and sing.